Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's voice and live life through the lens of Scripture. The Bible in a Year podcast is brought to you by Ascension. Using the Great Adventure Bible timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. It is day 282. We have departed from the time of the exile, the time of the return, and now we are in the Maccabean Revolt, that time period. A uh, number of books that majority of people who are part of this, y'all who are part of this Bible in a Year community, maybe have never read, but uh, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church believe these books to be part of the canon. They're called the Deuterocanonical books. We we talked about a little bit about them when we read the book of Judith and Baruch and Tobit and some of the parts of Daniel and Esther that were not necessarily in the Protestant translations of the Bible. And so here we are, we have these books that are just really incredible. They are inspired and considered inspired from the very beginning of Christianity. I mean, it worked out. The church, the Bible was was really codified in maybe say 350, 398 with the different council of Rome, the council of Carthage in, in 398. Um, and then when it was challenged in the 1500s, the council of Trent said, okay, these 73 books, including these books in the Septuagint. Now, one of the reasons why, well, we'll get into it later on, but... <laughs> We're in great uh, company right now in day 282. We're reading 1 Maccabees chapter 1, which is actually quite a long chapter. All these chapters in Maccabees are a bit longer, so settle in and enjoy this story. It's it's remarkable. It's incredible. It's dramatic. It's phenomenal. It's courageous. And also Sirach chapter 1, 2, and 3. We're also reading Proverbs 21, verses 29 to 31. As always, the Bible translation I'm reading from is the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition. I'm using the Great Adventure Bible from Ascension. If you want to download your own Bible in a Year reading plan, you can visit ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a Year. You can also subscribe to this podcast by clicking on subscribe and receiving daily episodes and daily updates. As I said, it is the first day, day 282 of the Maccabean Revolt. And so enjoy the story. The story is remarkable. Um, first Maccabees is what we're doing for the next number of days. And then afterwards is second Maccabees. They're kind of the same story told in different ways, kind of a little bit like Numbers and Deuteronomy were more or less the same story told in different ways, but we'll get there when we get there. Today, we're reading Maccabees chapter 1, Sirach chapter 1, 2, and 3, and Proverbs 21, verses 29 through 31. The first book of the Maccabees, chapter 1, Alexander the Great. After Alexander, son of Philip the Macedonian, who came from the land of Kittim, had defeated Darius, king of the Persians and the Medes, he succeeded him as king. He had previously become king of Greece. He fought many battles, conquered strongholds, and put to death the kings of the earth. He advanced to the ends of the earth and plundered many nations. When the earth became quiet before him, he was exalted, and his heart was lifted up. He gathered a very strong army and ruled over countries, nations, and princes, and they became tributary to him. After this, he fell sick and perceived that he was dying. So he summoned his most honored officers, who had been brought up with him from youth, and divided his kingdom among them while he was still alive. And after Alexander had reigned 12 years, he died. Then his officers began to rule, each in his own place. They all put on crowns after his death, and so did their sons after them for many years. And they caused many evils on the earth. Antiochus Epiphanes and the Renegade Jews From them came forth a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king. He had been a hostage in Rome. He began to reign in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days, lawless men came forth from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles round about us, for since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us. This proposal pleased them, and some of the people eagerly went to the king. 
he authorized them to observe the ordinances of the Gentiles. So they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to Gentile custom, and removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. Antiochus in Egypt When Antiochus saw that his kingdom was established, he determined to become king of the land of Egypt, that he might reign over both kingdoms. So he invaded Egypt with a strong force, with chariots and elephants and cavalry and with a large fleet. He engaged Ptolemy, king of Egypt, in battle. And Ptolemy turned and fled before him, and many were wounded and fell. And he captured the fortified cities in the land of Egypt, and he plundered the land of Egypt. Persecution of the Jews After subduing Egypt, Antiochus returned in the 143rd year. He went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force. He arrogantly entered the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstand for the light, and all its utensils. He took also the table for the bread of the presence, the cups for drink offerings, the bowls, the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the golden decoration on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off. He took the silver and the gold and the costly vessels. He took also the hidden treasures which he found. Taking them all, he departed to his own land. He committed deeds of murder and spoke with great arrogance. Israel mourned deeply in every community. Rulers and elders groaned. Maidens and young men became faint. The beauty of women faded. Every bridegroom took up the lament. She who sat in the bridal chamber was mourning. Even the land shook for its inhabitants, and all the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. Occupation of Jerusalem Two years later, the king sent to the cities of Judah a chief collector of tribute, and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Deceitfully, he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him. But he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. He plundered the city, burned it with fire, and tore down its houses and its surrounding walls. And they took captive the women and children, and seized the cattle. Then they fortified the city of David with a great strong wall and strong towers, and it became their citadel. And he stationed there a sinful people, lawless men, these strengthened their position. They stored up arms and food, and collecting the spoils of Jerusalem, they stored them there and became a great snare. It became an ambush against the sanctuary, an evil adversary of Israel continually. On every side of the sanctuary, they shed innocent blood. They even defiled the sanctuary. Because of them, the residents of Jerusalem fled. She became a dwelling of strangers. She became strange to her offspring, and her children forsook her. Her sanctuary became desolate as a desert. Her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into a reproach, her honor into contempt. Her dishonor now grew as great as her glory. Her exaltation was turned into mourning. Installation of Gentile Cults Then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people and that each should give up his customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He directed them to follow the customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and feasts, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane, so that they should forget the law and change all the ordinances. And whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. 
In such words he wrote to his whole kingdom. And he appointed inspectors over all the people and commanded the cities of Judah to offer sacrifice city by city. Many of the people, every one who forsook the law, joined them. And they did evil in the land. They drove Israel into hiding in every place of refuge they had. Now, on the fifteenth day of Chislev, in the one hundred and forty-fifth year, they erected a desolating sacrilege upon the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding cities of Judah and burned incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. The books of the law which they found they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Where the book of the covenant was found in the possession of anyone, or if anyone adhered to the law, the decree of the king condemned him to death. They kept using violence against Israel, against those found month after month in the cities. And on the 25th day of the month, they offered sacrifice on the altar which was upon the altar of burnt offering. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mothers' necks. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant. And they did die. And very great wrath came upon Israel. The Book of Sirach The Prologue Whereas many great teachings have been given to us through the law and the prophets and the others that followed them, on account of which we should praise Israel for instruction and wisdom. And since it is necessary not only that the readers themselves should acquire understanding, but also that those who love learning should be able to help the outsiders by both speaking and writing, my grandfather, Jesus, after devoting himself especially to the reading of the law and the prophets and the other books of our fathers, and after acquiring considerable proficiency in them, was himself also led to write something pertaining to instruction and wisdom, in order that, by becoming conversant with this also, those who love learning should make even greater progress in living according to the law. You are urged, therefore, to read with goodwill and attention, and to be indulgent in cases where, despite our diligent labor in translating, we may seem to have rendered some phrases imperfectly. And what was originally expressed in Hebrew does not have exactly the same sense when translated into another language. Not only this work, but even the law itself, the prophecies, and the rest of the books differ not a little as originally expressed. When I came to Egypt in the 38th year of the reign of Eurgates and stayed for some time, I found opportunity for no little instruction. It seemed highly necessary that I should myself devote some pains and labor to the translation of the following book, using in that period of time great watchfulness and skill in order to complete and publish the book for those living abroad who wished to gain learning, being prepared in character to live according to the law. Chapter 1. In Praise of Wisdom All wisdom comes from the Lord and is with him forever. The sand of the sea, the drops of rain, and the days of eternity, who can count them? The height of heaven, the breadth of the earth, the abyss and wisdom, who can search them out? Wisdom was created before all things and prudent understanding from eternity. The source of wisdom is God's word in the highest heaven and her ways are the eternal commandments. The root of wisdom, to whom has it been revealed? Her clever devices, who knows them? The knowledge of wisdom, to whom was it manifested? And her abundant experience, who has understood it? There is one who is wise, the creator of all, the king greatly to be feared, sitting upon his throne and ruling as God. The Lord himself created wisdom in the Holy Spirit. He saw her and apportioned her. He poured her out upon all his works. She dwells with all flesh according to his gift, 
and he supplied her to those who love him. The fear of the Lord is glory and exaltation and gladness and a crown of rejoicing. The fear of the Lord delights the heart and gives gladness and joy and long life. With him who fears the Lord, it will go well at the end. On the day of his death, he will be blessed. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She is created with the faithful in the womb. She made among men an eternal foundation, and among their descendants she will be trusted. To fear the Lord is wisdom's full measure. She satisfies men with her fruits. She fills their whole house with desirable goods and their storehouses with her produce. The fear of the Lord is the crown of wisdom, making peace and perfect health to flourish. He saw her and apportioned her. He reigned now knowledge and discerning comprehension, and he exalted the glory of those who held her fast. To fear the Lord is the root of wisdom, and her branches are long life. Unrighteous anger cannot be justified, for a man's anger tips the scale to his ruin. A patient man will endure until the right moment, and then joy will burst forth for him. He will hide his words until the right moment, and the lips of many will tell of his good sense. In the treasuries of wisdom are wise sayings, but godliness is an abomination to a sinner. If you desire wisdom, keep the commandments, and the Lord will supply it for you. For the fear of the Lord is wisdom and instruction, and he delights in fidelity and meekness. Do not disobey the fear of the Lord. Do not approach him with a divided mind. Be not a hypocrite in men's sight, and keep watch over your lips. Do not exalt yourself, lest you fall, and thus bring dishonor upon yourself. The Lord will reveal your secrets and cast you down in the midst of the congregation, because you did not come in the fear of the Lord, and your heart was full of deceit. Chapter 2. Duties Toward God My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, remain in justice and in fear, and prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart right and be steadfast, incline your ear and receive words of understanding and do not be hasty in time of calamity. Await God's patience, cling to him and do not depart, that you may be wise in all your ways. Accept whatever is brought upon you and endure it in sorrow. In changes that humble you, be patient. For gold and silver are tested in fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in God and he will help you. Hope in Him, and He will make your ways straight. Stay in fear of Him, and grow old in Him. You who fear the Lord, wait for His mercy, and turn not aside lest you fall. You who fear the Lord, trust in Him, and your reward will not fail. You who fear the Lord, hope for good things, for everlasting joy and mercy. You who fear the Lord, love Him, and your hearts will be made radiant. Consider the ancient generations and see whoever trusted in the Lord and was put to shame, or whoever persevered in his commandments and was forsaken, or whoever called upon him and was overlooked. For the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He forgives sins and saves in time of affliction, and he is the shield of all who seek him in truth. Woe to timid hearts and to slack hands, and to the sinner who walks along two ways. Woe to the faint heart, for it has no trust. Therefore, it will not be sheltered. Woe to you who have lost your endurance. What will you do when the Lord punishes you? Those who fear the Lord will not disobey his words, and those who love him will keep his ways. Those who fear the Lord will seek his approval, and those who love him will be filled with the law. 
those who fear the Lord will prepare their hearts and will humble themselves before him. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, but not into the hands of men. For as his majesty is, so also is his mercy. Chapter 3. Duties Toward Parents and Others Listen to me, your father, O children, and act accordingly, that you may be kept in safety. For the Lord honored the father above the children, and he confirmed the right of the mother over her sons. Whoever honors his father atones for sins and preserves himself from them. When he prays, he is heard. And whoever glorifies his mother is like one who lays up treasure. Whoever honors his father will be gladdened by his own children. And when he prays, he will be heard. Whoever glorifies his father will have long life, and whoever obeys the Lord will refresh his mother. He will serve his parents as his masters. Honor your father by word and deed, that a blessing from him may come upon you. For a father's blessing strengthens the houses of the children, but a mother's curse uproots their foundations. Do not glorify yourself by dishonoring your father, for your father's dishonor is no glory to you. For a man's glory comes from honoring his father, and it is a disgrace for children not to respect their mother. O son, help your father in his old age, and do not grieve him as long as he lives. Even if he is lacking in understanding, show forbearance, and do not despise him all the days of his life. For kindness to a father will not be forgotten, and against your sins it will be credited to you, a house raised in justice to you. In the day of affliction, it will be remembered in your favor as frost in fair weather, your sins will melt away. Whoever forsakes his father is like a blasphemer and whoever angers his mother is cursed by the Lord. My son, perform your tasks in meekness. Then you will be loved more than a giver of gifts. The greater you are, the more you must humble yourself. So you will find favor with God. There are many who are noble and renowned, but it is to the humble that he reveals his mysteries. For great is the might of the Lord. He is glorified by the humble. Seek not what is too difficult for you, nor investigate what is beyond your power. Reflect upon what has been assigned to you and do not be curious about many of his works. For you do not need to see with your eyes what is hidden. Do not meddle in what is beyond your tasks, for matters too great for human understanding have been shown you. For their hasty judgment has led many astray and wrong opinion has caused their thoughts to slip. A stubborn mind will be afflicted at the end, and whoever loves danger will perish by it. A stubborn mind will be burdened by troubles, and the sinner will heap sin upon sin. The affliction of the proud has no healing, for a plant of wickedness has taken root in them, though it will not be perceived. The mind of the wise man will ponder the words of the wise, and an attentive ear is the wise man's desire. Water extinguishes a blazing fire, so almsgiving atones for sin. Whoever repays favors gives thought to the future. At the moment of his falling, he will find support. The Book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verses 29 through 31. A wicked man puts on a bold face, but an upright man considers his ways. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, this word of yours given to us through Maccabees, this word of yours given to us through Ben Sirach. And I just, I'm so grateful, Lord, for your constantly 
giving us your wisdom, your vision of who you are and who the world, what the world is, who you've made us to be and how you've called us to live in this world. We ask you to please, please help us to live in this world rightly. Help us to live in this world with wisdom. Help us to walk in this world as your sons and daughters and walk in your wisdom this day and every day. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so going back to Maccabees, what happened? So here's the deal. Um, There's this guy, his name is Alexander. He was pretty great in many ways. People call him that, Alexander the Great. And he conquered the known world, right? And this is the very beginning of chapter one of the first book of Maccabees. Tells that story. As he's dying, he doesn't have any children that he's going to give like heirs to. They don't inherit his kingdom. So he divides it up amongst, I believe his four generals. One of those generals, well, (laughs) the descendants of one of those generals is Antiochus Epiphanes and roughly around the year um, 175 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes. uh, He is the one who begins this severe persecution against the Jews. Now, this is really important because up to this point, we had the Babylonians and we had the Persians, the Medo-Persian empire, and even a little bit with Alexander himself, there was this tolerance, right? there's a religious tolerance. Like, yeah, keep it, go ahead. I mean, obviously we have Daniel in the lion's den. We also have Mordecai. And there's times where the Jews refused to bow down to the gods or the kings, essentially, of the, their conquerors. But for the most part, there was some religious tolerance until Antiochus Epiphanes here. And he comes to Jerusalem and he not only has this what we might call hard totalitarianism. He also has a soft totalitarianism. The soft totalitarianism, which is just, you know what? Things get along if you go along, right? The things get easier if you just kind of look like everyone else, live like everyone else. And this is the same old, same old temptation that we saw the moment the children of Israel wandered into or walked into, were led into the promised land. Is Let's just be like the Canaanites. Let's be like the Hivites and the Jebusites, the whole deal, the Moabites. And now in this case, let's be like the Greeks, Greek civilization at this point is pretty big deal. It's super advanced. I mean, there, there's, of course, Asian civilizations at the same time that were flourishing in, in some remarkable ways. But Greek civilization was kind of the high point here. And so here are the Jews who are seeing this incredible Greek civilization. And one of the things that happens is, well, here's the gymnasium that's built in Jerusalem. So if you know anything about gymnasium, I remember when I was a kid, I learned the etymology of the words gymnastics, and it means naked dancing. I think it was naked dancing or naked exercise and realized, oh yeah, that's because of the Greeks. They would exercise naked. So they call it gymnastics, exercising naked. Now, why am I making that point? The reason I'm making that point is because if you build a gymnasium in Jerusalem and you exercise naked, then it becomes really clear to everybody who is Jewish and who is not Jewish, who is circumcised and who is not circumcised. And so you have this, this it's on display essentially that, oh, I belong, I'm a person of the covenant, not a Gentile, not a Greek. And so what was happened is that there are even people who it says in verse 15 of chapter one, they removed the marks of their circumcision. Basically, they apostatized, right? They, they, they turned away and said, no, I do not belong to the God of Israel. And this is remarkable. I mean, just like I want to blend in so much, I will submit myself to this new surgery that will cover up the mark of circumcision. Wanting to fit in that much. That's a soft totalitarianism. I just want to fit in and be like everyone else. And then the hard totalitarianism comes along where here is the installation of Gentile cults. And here is, as chapter one goes on to describe, not only does Antiochus Epiphanes come into Jerusalem and steal much from the temple, but also erects the desolation of abomination, which we wonder, what is that? Sometimes people will say it's the statue of Zeus that Antiochus Epiphanes put up in the temple. And imagine that, imagine this on the altar, 
dedicated to the Lord God. They set up uh, worship of the God Zeus. Um, so it's such a distortion and, and just an incredible like, fall and pressure that was placed upon those faithful Jews in Jerusalem. This is an interesting thing because we hear it really briefly described uh, that there were Jews who refused to eat the food that was prohibited from them. In fact, it says, gosh, things get really bad. In verse 58 of chapter one, it says this, that you know the decree of the king condemned them to death. It says, they kept using violence against Israel, against those they found month after month in the cities. And it goes on, it says, according to this decree, they put to death women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them, and they hung their infants from their mother's necks. Imagine, again, this is Antiochus Epiphanes. But in this is the last three verses of chapter one, which is so powerful and necessary for us. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant, and they did die. This is just, man, we're going to hear about this. We're going to hear some actual stories in 2 Maccabees where they, they unpack what was the, the incredible courage, incredible faithfulness. What did that really look like during this time of persecution? They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or profane the Holy Covenant, and they did. Remember um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, where they say, Lord, you, O king, you can throw us into the fiery furnace and God can save us. Yet even if he will not, know that, O king, we will never bow down before you. And then he saved them. We have uh, Esther. <laughs> Mordecai says to Esther, he says that, yeah, you could not stand up for, for the Lord, but God will still deliver the people of Israel while you won't be, won't be part of that. She does stand up and God spares her life. And here are these people, the, these Jewish people in Jerusalem. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to frame the Holy Covenant. And they did. And they did die. Which is just, we're, we're going to hear these stories in 2 Maccabees, the stories of courage and incredible faithfulness. But... For today, we just got the groundwork here um, for what's going to happen in rebellion. The rebellion is going to happen very soon against the Greek occupation of Jerusalem. Now, going on to the book of Sirach. Oh my gosh, you guys, you're going to love the book of Sirach. I love it so much. It's incredible. One of the things we get in Sirach is this is the same time, roughly at the same time, maybe a little bit after the Maccabean revolt, is this book, this, this book of wisdom, right? The book of, well, it's not book of wisdom, that's coming up later, but this book full of wisdom. It's all about wisdom and it's all about the fear of the Lord. Now think about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is one of those things that uh, the, the fear of the Lord is wisdom's full measure. And it goes on to say, you know, the fear of the Lord is the crown of wisdom. And this is something, the fear of the Lord is the root of wisdom. Ah, and there's something so powerful about this. We just realize what is the fear of the Lord? As we know, it's not being scared of God. It's not uh, shrinking back because we think that God is a tyrant or because God is a villain or because God is so powerful and he's going to use his power to dominate us or to rule us. He's not the tyrant, right? He's not soft or hard totalitarianism. He's a good God, but he's still God. So the fear of the Lord, ultimately at the very most basic way you can say it is the fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. That's the most, <laughs> most simple way, the simplest way I can possibly put it into words. If you want to say, what is the fear of the Lord? It's most basic. And again, there's better ways to say it, but at its most basic, the fear of the Lord is taking God seriously as God himself, if that makes any sense. Now, how do we do that? I love this because in the first chapter, we, we say, okay, um, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So then how do you get wisdom? And in verse 26 of chapter one, it says, if you desire wisdom, keep the commandments <laughs> and the Lord will supply it for you. 
If you desire wisdom, keep the commandments and the Lord will supply it for you. How much, uh, gosh, how, how foolish do we become when we don't keep God's commandments? In fact, it goes on to say, uh, verse 28, do not disobey the fear of the Lord. Do not approach him with a divided mind. Oftentimes, that's what we do. We approach God with a divided mind. I want to do your will, but I don't really want to do your will. I want to follow you. I want to obey your commandments. I don't really want to obey your commandments. And that is a recipe for foolishness. But you can. I mean, with God's grace, we can continue to walk in faithfulness. Now, I just want to highlight two more things just because one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, like in the entire Bible, one of my favorite verses is Sirach chapter two, verse one. And the translation we read today was, my son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, remain in justice and in fear and prepare yourself for temptation. And ah, ah, so good. He says, wait, God's patience cling to him and do not depart that you may be wise in all your ways. Accept whatever is brought upon you and endure it in sorrow in changes that humble you. Be patient for gold and silver are tested in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in God and he will help you. This is one of my favorite translations, but one of my favorite lines, I mean, but my favorite translation is a different translation. And the different translations come from the New American Bible. It's the translation that we read at Mass. Now, the Revised Standard Version, the one we read, have been reading for the last 282 days, is phenomenal. It's a great translation. The New American Bible is also a very good translation. But here's what the New American Bible translates, Sirach chapter 2, verse 1 and following. It says, My son, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Be sincere of heart and steadfast, undisturbed in time of adversity. Cling to him, forsake him not. Thus will your future be great. Accept whatever befalls you. In crushing misfortune, be patient. For in fire, gold is tested. And worthy men in the crucible of humiliation. Trust in God and he will help you. Make straight your ways and hope in him. That's the New American Bible translation. And I just, and they're both great translations. I love that second one of Sirach chapter two, verse one. It is just ah, powerful. Last little note. I know because we're, we're getting there today. In chapter three, we have duties towards parents and others. There is something so powerful about being reminded of the, the duty we owe to honoring our parents. The one who honors his father is, is honored. And the one who honors their mother is honored. The one who dishonors their father is dishonored. The one who dishonors their mom is dishonored. And there's something so powerful about hearing it again and again all throughout chapter three, this recognition that uh, it's, it's worth it because I think maybe in our day and age, I'm not sure, maybe not, but there's an element where it's really easy, I think, in our day and age to we just mock parents, right? We dismiss parents and we don't have the same kind of respect that other cultures have had for the ancestors or for their parents, for their elders. And here in the book of Sirach, chapter three, we get reminded of how important it is. In fact, the fourth commandment to honor one's father and mother is the only commandment that comes with a blessing, that long life may be yours. And here in uh, chapter three of Sirach, we get reminded of that once again. So we're going to be journeying again for maybe the next 30 days or so and Maccabees and Sirach and Wisdom in these books um, about the Maccabean Revolt. And then we're going to launch into the New Testament. So this is the great beginning of our last little phase before we enter into the New Testament period and the last gospel, Luke's gospel, the one we haven't read yet, as well as Acts of the Apostles and all the letters of Paul and the others. But today... We're day 282, and we're just beginning this new phase before our last phase. It's the penultimate time period before we get to the end. Um, What what a great blessing. We're not even close. Guys, oh my gosh, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless. Mm -hmm.